Good morning. Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray.
Father, it is a glorious thing to declare that we are your children. Thank you. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for the work that you do in our hearts, in our lives, personally and corporately. And we pray that in this time of worship today, you will be glorified and we will see you more clearly and turn our hearts to you more and more. Thank you for being present with us. Be glorified in all that we do. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Before you're seated, share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. So I want to the service today and especially welcome uh, students who are either here for the first time or back again. We love having you here and great to have you back and pray that this is an awesome year uh, for you in every way. And uh, we are privileged to uh, be a part of that with you as you journey throughout this year. There are some sheets in the front of you, a pad of sheets that uh, just say homeless in church and it's got blanks and things you can fill out. I'd uh, love to have you fill those out this morning. You can drop in the offering plate, or if it goes by before you're done, uh, just leave it in the pew, and we'll pick it up afterwards. But there's things on here about just informational as well as ways that you might want to be involved, want to know more about a variety of things, and uh, we're happy. love having you involved and uh, in things that are going on in the church. Also, uh, today at 5 o'clock, we'll be, looks like the weather's going to be great, so we'll be back here in the grass for a picnic. And uh, we have lots and lots of food. Uh, so those of you who particularly who are students that aren't going to bring food, we're good. We got you covered. And we're going to play some games and just have some a good time together, uh, just interacting, sharing life. So we look forward to seeing all of us uh, here at 5 o'clock this afternoon. I know I've heard it many times, um, but it didn't sink in until you're here. This is really weird to see all of you way at the back end of the, the sanctuary and all the front empty. It's really bizarre from this perspective, so I thought I'd share that. <laughs> Do you agree? Isn't it? I'm sorry. Um, those of you who don't know me, my name is Jonathan Retz. My family and I joined this uh, amazing group of 23 people that you helped send to Puerto Rico this summer. July 21st, we left. Uh, flew to San Juan, traveled over to, our, the, the bulk of our effort was at Wesleyan Academy. It's really a sister academy of Houghton Academy. Um, bulk of our efforts, well, that's where we stayed. Bulk of our effort was there to help prepare for the start of their new school year. They're still recovering from aspects of the hurricane. Uh, we painted, we cleaned, we did some minor repairs. We had a group that went and worked in the office to help prepare um, for the arrival of kids and teachers. Uh, midweek, we, to, we, we, we took a break from all that, and we sent a group of 10 to an island off the eastern side of 
uh, Puerto Rico VA case where they went and provided food and brought food to people that are shut in. Um, it was a tremendous experience for them. Those of us that remained had the opportunity to go to a food bank in downtown San Juan and, and do similar stuff, but prepare packets of food and, and organize and, and uh, uh, sort food. Um, it was a great, great trip. Um, am I missing anything? Oh, we had other opportunities. We were really there, I feel, to, to serve and to help in any way that we can. So we had wonderful opportunities, even on our trips to the grocery store and, and around town, to stop and, and make a difference in the lives of, of other people. Um, and as uh, Steve's going to talk about, um, even just in the, the trips back and forth to the, the airport. So we're going to have uh, one of my daughters, Grace, is going to share a little personal experience. So, as it usually happens, God taught me a lesson without me even realizing it. In fact, he began teaching it to me as we were just leaving Buffalo. I had opened my book as a way to pass the time, yet roughly three pages in, there it was, my aha moment. I just didn't know it at the time. It read, at lux in tenebris lucid. This is Latin for, and the light shines in the darkness. I thought to myself, wow, I took a picture and then proceeded to fall asleep. It's safe to say that the phrase's significance hadn't kicked in yet. And then we landed in Puerto Rico. And over the course of one week there, those words became a reality. We saw the damage that Hurricane Maria had done firsthand, not only on buildings, but on lives. Yet with all of the destruction, one thing became very obvious. The people there were shining. With the roof torn from their house, or even a whole story gone, with giant sores, without electricity, with a family member bedridden, without use of one side of their body, and the list could continue on. Each person, despite the battles they were facing, shone with gratitude and joy. The darkness in their lives was no match for the light. For the light of Christ in them, around them, and shining through them. And that, for me, was one of the biggest takeaways. To be joyful, no matter the circumstance, to let the light shine in the darkness, just like the people of Puerto Rico are doing. One of the greatest things I saw was a group of 23 people functioning as one, as one unit, not with all the same talents, but individually having their own skills. It's the body of Christ working, everybody having uh, a part to play, and that was exceptional. Um, we were hoping on this trip, and, and actually saw this happen, that the, um, this trip would contribute to the identity development of our youth uh, through service and experiences they, would have, they wouldn't have otherwise. We want to also encourage thankfulness for what we do have and compassion for those in need. We wanted to deepen our relationships with God, understanding his heart toward all of humanity and toward each of us individually. Our trip theme passage was Philippians 2, 5 through 11. This speaks of having the same mindset as Christ Jesus in our relationships with one another. Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself. Our individual and group devotions were aimed at seeing Christ's message of humble service and understanding his heart toward us through several of his parables. We studied the invited guests from Luke 14, the workers in the vineyard from Matthew 20, the sower of the seeds, Matthew 13, and ended with the Good Samaritan. 
in the, the Good Samaritan account, the scripture says, after he told the parable, Jesus asked the expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go, do likewise. Essentially saying that the law was not for debating, but for doing. The Samaritan saw someone in need, someone in need of help. He demonstrated eyes of service. He had compassion. He had a heart of service. He rolled up his sleeves. He helped. He had hands of service. He went the extra mile. He had feet of service. And he gave financially with a wallet of service. Has anybody had a, the opportunity to take an Uber ride yet? We, we actually had our first opportunity, Pastor John and I. We dropped off uh, the group at the airport, took the vans back to the academy, and then grabbed a ride with a, a teacher that was a, a Puerto Rican resident. Um, and this gentleman, I'll, I'll give an account of that experience. So Pastor John and I took an Uber ride back to the airport after dropping off the vans at the academy. I was blessed to be a backseat eavesdropper on John's conversation with our driver. They asked each other what they did for a living. When John told him he's a pastor and that he was in Puerto Rico leading a group of Christians offering service to the people there, our driver expressed his experience with matters of faith being pretty much isolated to church time on Sunday. He explained that he had never seen someone actually doing the things outside of church that were preached about in church. He proceeded to express a desire to connect on a deeper level with God. Pastor John was placed there in that moment for a greater purpose than to receive a ride to the airport. We were all placed there for those nine days for a greater purpose than to paint, help at a food bank, and deliver care packages. If interested in more stories that, uh, about the work that God did, uh, please join us at the Kaleidoscope class on September 9th. We'll be speaking there. But uh, we, on behalf of all of us, we'd like to thank the church, all of you, for your support. We've witnessed the church emulating the Good Samaritan with an eye, heart, hand, foot, and wallet, all given to serve God. Thank you. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Please be seated. Father, it is with great joy that we sing of your faithfulness. That in all of history and time, you have never failed anyone. We claim that promise this morning. We cling to that truth this morning. As we bring to you not only our songs of praise, but our burdens. Father, this morning we pray that we, as we come to this place of worship, that you will be present in everything in our lives. Some of us come today concerned about relationships. A particular relationship that is not where we know it should be. And we ask for your restoration. We pray about our work. Things with our jobs that, that burden us. We pray that it will be evident that you are present and at work in those situations. We pray, Father, for uh, our future. Even as we are on the, on the brink of a new academic year, have great plans and dreams about it, we know that the future can be a winding, twisting path, and we ask that you will give us wisdom and guidance throughout all of it. We pray, Father, that you would help us as we, as we deal with the experiences of life that come so close to us and feel sometimes as if they are overwhelming us. We think of, of people who are grieving today and ask for your comforting presence. We think of those who are struggling with illness and pain in all the various forms in which it comes to us. And we ask for your healing grace upon each one. Father, we thank you for what you are doing in this church. And as we listened and, and saw all of this, this group of people who spent more than a week in Puerto Rico, we thank you for their willingness to go and the effort and energy and the money that, that they, uh, they gave to this project. And we ask, Father, that there will be continuing fruit in Puerto Rico as well as in their lives and in ours as a church. We pray not only for our church, we pray for churches around us. And we pray today for the Dalton United Methodist Church and Pastor Lauren Turner. May your grace be so evident on this body of believers as they serve and love each other and serve and love their community and beyond. Father, we thank you for the privilege of serving beyond us. Thank you for the privilege of of sharing from the bounty with which you've given us through our benevolent fund and through the food pantry and other ways in which we reach out and help be your presence in the needs right around us. And we pray, Father, that people will see you in every act of compassion and love. We pray for the wider world, places where war is simply everyday life, bring peace. 
for refugees brings security and a place to call home of safety. For places where people are still recovering from disasters and tragedies, bring your healing grace upon each one. And Father, for your church around the world, we pray. We pray especially for our brothers and sisters who face great opposition, threats, persecution. Protect them. We think of the church in Nigeria, particularly in the city of Josh, and as our own Ben Hegeman is there teaching and serving the church, we pray that, that you will protect your church there. And may their witness be clear and vibrant and strong as they share your love and your grace. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for being present with us today. We offer our prayers in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, giving thanks to you through him. Amen. The scripture reading for today is Psalm 83. O God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O God. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation, so that Israel's name is remembered no more. With one mind they plot together. They form an alliance against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, of Moab and the Hagrites, Byblos, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the people of Tyre, even Assyria has joined them to reinforce Lot's descendants. Do to them as you did to Midian, as you did to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who perished at Ender and became like dung on the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take possession of the pasture lands of God. Make them like tumbleweed, my God, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest or a flame sets the mountains ablaze, so pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame, Lord, so that they will seek your name. May they ever be ashamed and dismayed. May they perish in disgrace. Let them know that you, whose name is the Lord, that you alone are the most high over all the earth. At this time, children ages 2 to 5 are dismissed for Children's Church. They meet in room 116 next door in the Christian Education Building.
Please be seated. Sometimes the scriptures confuse us. Sometimes the scriptures um, frustrate us. Maybe they even irritate us. Sometimes when we read scripture, we are left shaking our heads wondering why in the world would God put that in the Bible? It doesn't mean that we don't believe in the authority of the scripture or that it's it's clearly the word of God. There are just parts of scripture that are very difficult for us not only to understand but to reconcile. There are those passages of scripture that that when we invite non-Christian friends to church, we really hope those passages are not going to be read in church that Sunday. Right? And I wonder... Yeah, you know, and, and of course, most of those passages seem to be in the Old Testament. And they've led people to kind of have this mindset, certain scholars through the years and people have this mindset that says, you know, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. These are two different beings. And, it, you know, we, we sometimes can resonate with the little boy who had been told some of those Old Testament stories, read some of those Old Testament passages and, and explaining it said, well, that was before God was a Christian. I think we understand that sometimes. And I wonder if Psalm 83 isn't one of those passages. I said to Shelley before the service this morning, you're welcome for reading this passage. And she said, I hate you. Uh, (laughs) The names and all these things that are going through that. It's kind of a difficult passage to grasp. It's not a passage of scripture that we probably go to in our times of trouble. But it's an important one, nevertheless. This, this passage, we don't really know the historical context of this passage. The writer Asaph doesn't give us any. But it's at a time when Israel is in peril. Israel is being surrounded by their enemies. And a lot of the passage, particularly verses uh, 2 to 8, is describing all the groups of people that have made a treaty and have surrounded Israel and are ready to wipe them out. And it's in that context of people, nations that are their relatives, nations that just are are against them, warring nations. It's in that context that Israel prays this prayer, sings this song, and the song is basically, God, take out our enemies. Wipe them out. Get rid of them before they get rid of us. And we read that kind of prayer and we scratch our heads and we say, it really doesn't sound all that Christian. Our natural inclination is to read a passage like this and to make it personal. God, my enemies, the people who hurt me, the people who have been wronged, who have wronged me, the people who have done things that I don't like. And we make this a very personal kind of psalm, a kind of prayer. And that's probably one of the reasons why we feel a little bit uncomfortable praying it. But this is not a personal psalm per se. This is really a psalm about Israel. It's a psalm about God's 
people. It's a psalm about what is happening to God's people. It's about what it means to be God's people in a world in which evil has a whole lot of power. It's not, it shouldn't surprise Israel or us that all the nations around them have formed a bond to take out Israel. Because all the nations around them are worshiping false gods in one way or another. They are worshiping gods that, re, that reject Yahweh. They are following the evil one. And the evil one's intent in this world is to destroy and oppose God and everything about God. And particularly God's people. And so what Israel is really praying is God... Don't let your people be eliminated from this world. Don't let evil win. In that culture, the the nations that fought each other, the battles were determined not so much by how wonderful their armies were, but by how powerful their gods were. In their mindset, my nation beats yours because my God is stronger than your God. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, prove yourself. Let them know that you alone are God. And do that by giving your people victory over them. Freeing us from them. Defeat evil. I don't think it's ever an inappropriate thing for us to pray, God, defeat evil. And in fact, the opposite of that prayer is to say, God, I don't really care what evil does in this world. It doesn't bother me a bit that there, are, that there are children who are being treated the way they are, that there are innocent people who are in the middle of war zones. It doesn't bother me a bit, all the evil in the world. I just, as long as it doesn't touch me, I don't care. And the psalmist is saying we ought to care. It ought to matter to us that evil would be defeated. And destroyed. Because the evil one's intent is to destroy God's people and God's presence in this world. And we are against evil. When you begin to pray prayers like that, you can understand how they they can become very emotional. When you really care about something, you get emotional about it whether it's positive or negative. Many of you here today are on athletic teams through college. I suspect that if you, if you win a game at the very last moment, you're all going to be really excited. You would wonder about what kind of teammate you had who in that moment would just sit on the bench and go, yeah, whatever. Right? Or if one of your teammates is being, is, is being harassed in a way by some of the other teams or mistreated in some way and, and everyone's getting upset about it, but you have a teammate sitting over there saying, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. You'd really wonder about their commitment to the team. And I think the psalmist is saying that there ought to be some emotion in your prayers. It ought to upset us that what evil does in the world. And when we are upset about evil, we pray things that perhaps are worded more strongly than ultimately we mean. But that's a part of the process. And praying honest prayers is exactly what God wants. We sometimes think that we shouldn't be honest about how we're feeling and thinking. That maybe God can't handle it or, or that doesn't sound very Christian. 
But the truth of the matter is, if it's in there, we might as well tell God about it. We might as well express the emotions that we have to God in our prayers. Particularly when it's about the ways of evil in this world. Because we're always, the opposite is just pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. And ultimately it's going to explode in very negative ways. Denial of reality is not a spiritual gift. God wants us to be honest. Just like the psalm of praying, honest prayers. Lord, you see what's happening to us. Lord, pay attention to us. Do something about evil and evil's intent upon your people. And they're crying out to God to do that. And that is always an appropriate prayer. It's appropriate for us to pray for the church around the world, to pray for persecuted Christians. It's appropriate for us to care enough about them that we give some of our time and energy and effort and prayers for what they are facing, even if we are not. I think one of the reasons this kind of a psalm is difficult for us is because we view it through 21st century Western eyes. I doubt if many of us have attempted to live out our faith in circumstances in which the threat of persecution was a reality. We talk about that in this country. We talk about how, you know, maybe we feel like the government may be against us in ways or culture is against us in ways, and that's true. But we really don't have much of an idea of what so many of our brothers and sisters face in so many places of the world. And I have wondered, how would a Christian in North Korea or Pakistan or Somalia, Nigeria, what would they think about this psalm? How would that be different from how you and I, who face very little persecution, how we think about that psalm? I think the other thing that we often miss, we forget how culturally acclimated we have become to the fact that there's really not a clear distinction between good and evil and right and wrong. It's just the way it is. It's just how people are. It's the world we live in. We have been bombarded with the messages that, that what is right and wrong just is your, purely your opinion. It doesn't really matter. There is no, there is no right or, and wrong. It's just whatever you think. The only thing that's wrong is not giving the freedom to think whatever they want to be right and wrong is right and wrong. I mean, that's our perspective. When we fall into that cultural trap, there really isn't much to pray about. There isn't really much to pray against because people are just people and that's the way it is. Until it touches us, Personally, we don't think that much about it. But the reality is, at the heart of Scripture, is a God who says there is right and wrong. There are, there are follow, follow, people who follow me and people who reject me. There are people who are intent on my way that's good and the way of evil that is destruction. And to pray this prayer with the psalmist is to say, Lord, I see what evil is doing in this world. And I want you to do something about it. It shouldn't surprise us that God's people are opposed. I mean, this is the evil one fighting against 
God that the evil one hates with all of his being and everyone who's connected to him against him. And it shouldn't surprise us that all the nations around Israel are attacking them and have joined together because they have a common enemy, God, Yahweh, and Yahweh's people. And that's what evil does. And Jesus takes that to another level when he says to his disciples, you're going to be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You're going to be hated all over the world. Why? Because you're my followers. If the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they're going to persecute you because that's what evil does. And it shouldn't surprise us. We ought to be ready for it and to pray about it. And to look to God for his grace and help in the midst of it. There is is an element of faith in this prayer. When you read verses 9 to 12, the psalmist says, Do to them as you did to the Midianites, as you did to Sisera and Jabin at the Kishon River. They were destroyed at Ender, and their decaying corpses fertilized the soil. That's always a good passage to read. Let their mighty nobles die as Oreb and Zeb did. Let their princes die like Zeba and Zalmunna did. For they said, let us seize for our own use these pasture lands of God. The, what he's referencing there are two stories from the book of Judges. When Israel was in dire straits and God rescued them. And he used this in the story of Deborah in Judges 4 and 5 and Gideon in chapters 6, 7 and 8. Now you got to understand, Deborah and Gideon are the two most unlikely heroes Virtually in all of the Old Testament. The fact in in the story of Deborah. There are two women in that story. Who are the only heroes in the whole story. And it has always fascinated me. That in the midst of this. Of this hyper patriarchal culture. Right smack dab in the middle of it. We have a story of two women. Who are the heroes. And the men are the cowards. Very unlikely. And then the next story is Gideon. And Gideon is so afraid of the people of Midian that he's, he's threshing wheat in an old wine press to try to hide from them so they won't take it away from him. And God comes to him and says, oh, mighty warrior. And Gideon's got to be looking around going, you're talking to me? I mean, it's laughable. And the writer of the psalm says, God, do what you did through those two most unlikely people. And I think that's what God wants to do through us. This is not just something we pray, God, do this, and we'll stand back and watch. This is God, do this, and we'll be involved. We'll be a part of it. As frightening as that may seem to us in the midst of fighting evil, God, you work in us. Help us. Use us to be agents of your presence in this world. Because you see, ultimately, what the prayer is saying is, God, not just protect your people, but God, protect your witness. Protect your witness in this world. How will anybody know who you are if you don't have a witness in this world? That's been God's plan from the very beginning. We might say, well, God can send his Holy Spirit. God can do anything. He doesn't need people to to be his witness. And that is true. God could do anything anyway, but he has chosen not to do that. Back in the book of Genesis, 
The very beginning of the story of God calling out Abraham, he says to him, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. You're going to be my witness. In the book of Romans, Paul writes to the Romans and he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that's why the scripture says how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. The only way people in the world are going to hear about Jesus is if his Jesus's people tell them, witness to them. And he makes that crystal clear in some of the last words to his disciples when he says, you are my witnesses. It's the plan of God. And the prayer of Asaph is, God, you have always had a people. You have always had a witness in this evil world. Don't let that end. We want to continue to be your witness, however frail and and feeble and, and unreliable we may be. We want to be your witness. Help us. Let there always be a witness in this world. Protect your people, not just so we can have easier lives, but so that we can be your witnesses to who you are. And that brings us to the New Testament. I think one of the reasons we struggle with passages like this is because not only do they not sound Christian, they don't sound like Jesus. And in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Anybody can love those who love you. The real test is, do you love people who hate you? And I'm convinced that God is is bringing Israel on this journey to Jesus. And as they sing Psalm 83, they are singing everything they know about God in the ways that they are able to sing it. But it is leading them, and the prophets tell us this, leading them ultimately to Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate answer to their prayer and the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and his promised return. That God, and he says to, the, he says to his followers, it doesn't matter the pressure that the evil one puts on you. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And that's why we can pray this in faith. And when we know that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, when we know that God will never allow his witness to be eliminated in this earth, when we hear what the book of Revelation really is all about, not so much the understanding the prophecies and the numbers and all that, but a message to the church that Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, wins. When we understand that, then we can see how we are answers to this prayer in a way that we might not have ever dreamed. Because ultimately, God's answer to this prayer is not a sword. 
It's a cross. Ultimately, being God's witness in this world is giving up our lives, just as Jesus did. Ultimately, the way to proving that Yahweh is different from every other God is that God's people think and live and act different from all the other people around them. And this is the call of the gospel. And when we pray Psalm 83, we're saying, God, let us be a part of keeping your witness alive in this earth. And let us be a part of it, not by power and not by might, but through your power to be vulnerable and loving and to bear witness to your grace through Jesus Christ. And the question for us this morning is, do we have enough faith in who God is to embrace the plan of God for changing the world? Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your power. Thank you that you alone are God. Thank you for letting us be your witnesses. Give us grace to be the witnesses of Jesus. In his way. His life. His death. His resurrection power. Amen. stand and join us as we sing. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your just the way it
Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.